Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it. We're here. Yep, you can give yourselves a hand. Welcome also to all of you online, the many, probably the warm and maybe the wise. So uh, (laughs) we'll see how this goes, but I'm grateful to be together today, whether you're here with us in person or with us online, because our plans can get screwed up, right? Our preparations, days can go like we don't expect, but our God still reigns, doesn't he? He still has a plan for our lives, and even when things are shaking, even when things feel like when we're, we're so aware that they're out of our control, God is still on the move, and he's still doing something. So I'm excited about what God is going to continue to do this morning uh, in us through worship and the Word. We're going to continue in worship throughout this morning uh, a little bit, so it's going to be a little different, we'll, uh, but for now, we're going to get started into God's Word. Let me just pray one more time as we, uh, that we would open our hearts to his Word to move in a powerful way. In us this morning, Lord, Lord God, we thank you for um, we thank you for your word. We thank you that no weather can throw off your plans. We thank you that we cannot uh, mess up beyond your control. We thank you that you have a desire for us to come into a, a life transforming relationship with you. We thank you that you are constantly inviting us closer and closer into that. So I pray over every heart this morning, here and online both, I pray that we would lean in this morning to what you would speak to us. I pray that you would open our hearts and soften them to whatever word of conviction you might speak or whatever word of comfort, that we might be ready hearers of your word. And that as we go from this place later this morning, that we might be ready doers of your word. Knowing that we do that just as a response to your love, not to earn your love, but as a response to your love. So, Lord, for now, in this moment right here, we respond to your love by just listening to you. Speak, Lord. We're listening. In your name we pray. Amen. So you can uh, open your Bibles. We're going to be in John chapter 2 this morning, continuing in there, uh, starting with verse 13. I'm just going to get right to it and read verse 13 all the way through the end of the chapter. It says this, The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now, when he was in Jerusalem, 
at the Passover feast. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And he did no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So John paints probably a familiar picture for many of us. We've heard this story before of Jesus cleansing the temple. And first what he's going to do, though, is set the scene. And he sets the scene by saying this, that the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Why is that important? The Passover of the Jews was at hand. If you're familiar with Scripture at all, if you're familiar with Judaism at all, you might remember that the Passover is a pretty important feast. If, if you know the story of Exodus or have watched Prince of Egypt or the Ten Commandments, you know that God worked powerfully in the history of Israel to free them from slavery in Egypt. And the Passover feast became one of the primary feasts in the Jewish calendar year where they would celebrate how God saved them from the Egyptians. Because on the last night they were in Egypt, God went out through Egypt and he brought death to the houses in Egypt. Because Pharaoh had rejected him, has rejected his rule and his command to let his people go. So he brought death to the houses in Egypt, and yet he passed over the houses of the Israelites. Why? Because they had sacrificed lambs and painted the doorposts in blood, and they were saved by the blood of the lamb. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Pay attention for that theme in the rest of Scripture, right? So, so Passover was this major feast for the Jews where they would celebrate that this happened. And why that's important to what John's saying here is for two reasons, I think. One is that most uh, the Jewish men were expected to go to Jerusalem for a major feast like this. So unless they had a good reason not to, they were expected to go to Jerusalem. And so it's no wonder that when it's the Passover was at hand that we see Jesus went up to Jerusalem. That's one thing. The other thing is this, though. There's something else about Passover that's important. Passover was a time when the Jewish people would clean out all the yeast, all the leaven out of their houses because God told them to. And back at the first Passover, this happened because God was getting ready to move and they weren't even going to wait for the bread to rise in their homes, right? Because when God said move, they were going to move. But this was also a symbol. He said, clean all the leaven, all the yeast out of their homes as a way of purifying your homes. Leaven was a symbol of sin, he said, get it out of there. Cleanse it so that you're ready for me to move. And so when John says to us this morning, the Passover of the Jews is at hand, he's saying, it's time to clean house. And there's a house that needs cleaning this morning. Right in the temple, Jesus found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there in the temple, and you say, well, this is really weird, right? Why are there people selling animals and people exchanging money in the temple? And what you need to remember is actually both of these things were pretty necessary things for what the Jews were doing. They were coming to celebrate Passover, and you know what they were going to do? They were going to sacrifice an animal as part of their worship during Passover to God. And a lot of them are traveling from all over Israel. They don't want to lug these animals around with them, so it's easier to just get to Jerusalem and buy the animal. Makes sense. And then most of them, for a lot of them, this is the one or one of the few times they make it to the temple for the year, and they've got to pay a tax every year to get in the temple. Except they can't pay it with the normal money they have. They've got to pay it with special kind of money. So they've got to get that money changed so that they can pay their temple tax. So you've got to see, they're walking in the temple to worship God, and both of these things are necessary to happen, right? So these are 
These are not bad things. Jesus isn't saying these are bad things, I don't think. He's saying the problem isn't that these things are happening. The problem is where they are happening. In the temple. Can you imagine this? They're selling animals in the temple. He says, this is my father's house. You've turned it into a store. Can you imagine trying to worship in a store? Do you you know, for those of us in, in person online, do you know you're sitting in what used to be a Kmart? Can you, can you imagine if we showed up next week and not only was there no snow, but Kmart came back? <laughs> like, like we didn't move out, but Kmart just moved back in. And you're sitting here next week and you're trying to see the screen, except you can't because there's stacks of like women's activewear and men's suits in your way. And you're right in the middle of the housewares section. I mean, how distracting would that be? And not just Kmart moved in. What if a pet store moved in? And and there's dogs over there and cats over there and bird cages back there. Not just any pet stores, too. They sell sheep and oxen. How distracting would that be? And and you're in worship, right? You're trying to worship God. In the secret, in the quiet place, in the stillness you are. (laughs) Woman, control your sheep. How distracting would that be to walk in and try to worship in that environment and yet we wouldn't let that happen here. So how did that happen there? How did that happen back then? Do you know what happened, I think, is somebody settled. See, uh, some scholars who talk about this event, you know what they say is this didn't used to happen in the temple. People had to get their money changed, but you know where they went? They went somewhere down the street to get their money changed. And they went over to the Mount of Olives to buy their sacrificial animal. And it used to happen out there. And somewhere along the way, somebody said, well, well, they got to get this done. And then they come to the temple. So wouldn't it just make sense to, I mean, let's just do it here. I mean, they can come and the temple can make some money off of it too. And like, it's, it's, it's a win-win. And somebody said, you know, they can avoid all that traffic. They can just come in. It's convenient. It's necessary. And I bet when the change first happened, it was pretty annoying. Maybe it was startling for people. But then they come in, and after a while, they just get used to it. And it blends in. And what never should be there, they just take as normal. They just settle. And I'm wondering how many of us this morning are in a place, perhaps in our lives, where we've just settled. And we've allowed things to creep into our lives, into the very center of our lives, that have no business being there. And for some of us, that could be sin, right? That could be things like lust and alcohol and drugs and food and entertainment that we're running to to numb our souls and we're running to instead of Jesus. And that's, that could be a real obvious sin. And we're on the 507th time of the last time, right? And it's still there in the middle. And some of us need to flip that table. We need to allow Jesus to come in and cleanse that table. For some of us, though, it's not that obvious. I mean, because we still got our lives to live, right? For some of us, we started out on fire for Jesus. And we said, Jesus, we want you to take every area of our lives, invade our lives fully. And, and yet, as we go throughout our day-to-day, this is a... Eugene Peterson calls this a long obedience in the same direction, following Jesus. And it isn't a long obedience sometimes. And you just get into the day-to-day, and before you know it, things have creeped in 
that are part of our lives but shouldn't be the middle of our lives. Jesus spoke to this. He, he said, don't worry about what you're going to wear or what you eat. How many people have worried about that in the last year? COVID and the economy going up and down and what's going to happen now that a new administration is in place? How many of us worry about this? Is what I have in my bank account going to be enough? Jesus says, listen, all that's necessary, but guess what? Your dad knows. Your dad knows it's necessary, so don't put those things in the center. Don't make those things priority. What does he say? Seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else is going to figure itself out. He's going to add all that other stuff in, but seek first his kingdom. And if I wonder if this morning some of us have settled for second best, and some of us have settled for seeking other things than the glory and the kingdom of God in our lives. What is that for you? What is that that you tend to take Jesus off the throne and put something else there? Because Jesus comes in here and he makes a mess of the place. He drives them out of here, and listen, it's, he makes a whip, he, he sends them out, the sheep and the oxen, he overturns the tables, and he doesn't do this just because it's distracting, though. He, he does, doesn't do this just because it's hard for people to sing and get into the moment. He does this, why? He says, this is my father's house. This is my father's house, and you've tried to make this a store. And somewhere, somewhere along the way, somebody says, listen, we can do both. And Jesus walks in and says, you can't do both. How many of us this morning are trying to do both? Follow Jesus Christ and, the, and blend into the world. Follow what he said to leave everything behind and, and yet try to take everything with us, just like everybody else around us. Folks, Jesus is saying this morning, you can't do both. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. You know what he says? He says, do you not know that you, that you are the temple of the living God? And, and so what does light have to do with darkness? What relationship do believers have with unbelievers? You're going two completely different directions and what's first in your life is nothing. Has nothing to do with what's first in the lives of those still involved in the world who aren't following Jesus Christ. And it doesn't mean that we separate all relationships from there, but it means if we're in relationships with people in the world who are pursuing those things and we're the influenced rather than the influencer, probably means we need to flip that table. Maybe get out of those relationships for a while. Those are hard choices, but Jesus has a cleansing to do in some of our houses this, this morning. What is it for you? You know, we can think, you know, I, I've been here before, right? <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know all of your stories you've come to some of you have come to Jesus years ago and you've gone through this before like this is familiar you've done that that cleaning that purge of your lives you're saying do I really have to look at all of this again yes yeah we do you know the the funny thing that the difficult thing for some people about this this account in John when Jesus comes in and cleanses the temple is that Jesus is saying this uh, John is saying this happened at the beginning of Jesus ministry and you look at all three other Gospels and they talk about the cleansing of the temple and you know where they say it happened? At the end of Jesus' ministry. So which is it? Is it the beginning or the end? And people look at that and say the Bible contradicts itself. Oh, you can't believe that thing. No, that has nothing to do with it. You know what most scholars think? Jesus did it twice. 
He did it at the beginning and the end. And I used to look at that and I think, why would he have to do it twice? I mean, when he does it, it's done. When Jesus does something, it's done, right? Oh, but he knows what's in us. So Jesus was overturning tables that had been there for years, for decades. How long do you think it's going to take to set them back up? Is it a few hours from now that somebody walks in, hasn't seen what Jesus done, and says, hey, uh, where's the guy with the sheep? I, I need my sacrifice. Where is that? I need to change my money and to trade the tax. So do you think they waited till tomorrow to set up the tables again, or did they go right back in after Jesus left? And that's why we have to keep, we're just like them, folks. Like we need to keep examining our lives before Jesus, not in a way of inviting shame in, but in a, a way of inviting holy conviction in that, Jesus, I want to seek first your kingdom, and I am so prone to wander. Where do we need to allow Jesus to flip some tables in our lives this morning? You see, Jesus didn't have any tables to flip in his life. You know why he could come in and cleanse the temple? Because his temple was clean. Jesus never settled for second best. He never was torn between trying to do both, following his father and following the world. He was what? He was consumed. He was consumed. Consumed like a really good meal that you had last week. It was so good and you ate everything off the plate. There was not a crumb left, nothing left over. It was consumed. Consumed like logs in your fireplace today, probably when you go home, right? Because it's cold and you burn up those logs all the way down so there's nothing left but ash. Jesus was consumed with a desire for his father's house and his father's glory. And the question for us is, are we? Are we consumed this morning? We're gonna, I'm going to invite the worship team back out here, and we're not done looking at God's Word this morning, but I, I want to give us a moment to respond to God's Word this morning in the quiet of our own hearts and to invite Jesus to examine us before we go on to the next point in His Word to, to just sit with Jesus and allow Him to walk through the temple and see what He finds, the temple of our own hearts. Uh, folks watching at home, I know this is the time like if I were you, I'd be going up to fill my coffee cup. I encourage you to just sit with this for a minute. Allow Jesus to walk through the temples of our hearts and say, Lord, is there anything that you need to flip so that I may become consumed like you were consumed, Jesus? We're going to enter into this time, and, and I just ask you to sit quietly for a moment with him and invite him to examine you and see if there's some tables that need flipped. And then we're going to sing a, a prayer, really, back to God that we would be consumed by him. So let's enter into a moment now together. Lord Jesus, we want to follow in your footsteps. We want to follow the example that you have given us, most of all in this, to be consumed fully by you. Lord, we are creatures who are so prone to wander. We feel it, Lord, prone to leave the God we love. Draw our hearts back to you today. Whatever little or big things we've allowed to get in the way, cleanse us today, Lord, that we might worship you fully 
with every area of our lives. We offer our lives, our temples back to you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Jesus cleansed this temple. Not because the people were so distracted, (laughs) but because there was a different purpose to it. It was his father's house. This was where men and women came to meet with God. So, so listen, if you, go back to the, if you go back to the original temple, Solomon's temple that he built, and this temple I think we can assume was patterned after that, but the original temple that was built, and you read through and see what that temple looked like, do you know what it was filled with? Decorations and statues of trees and fruit and birds, and there were a couple angels in there too. And the Bible talks for a page or two about all the decorations in there. Trees, fruit, birds, angels. What? Why do we need to know that? Well, where else in Scripture have we heard about trees and birds and fruit and some cherubim? Where? Except Genesis chapter 2, chapter 3, right? The Garden of Eden. See, they built the temple because the Garden of Eden was where God walked with his people. And they experienced what they were made for. You know what it was? Unhindered relationship with God. That's what they were made for. And that's what they experienced in the Garden of Eden. And they lost that. They rejected that. So that wasn't possible anymore. And yet the closest you could get right now was the temple. You were to walk in there and remember the Garden of Eden. Remember what you were made for. Be in relationship with the God who loves you unhindered relationship his father's house do you feel the weight of that and they thought they could be both they could they thought they could set up a Kmart in there and when you feel the weight of that that's what we are called to be now we are temples of the living God it says if you are in Jesus Christ his spirit dwells in you Do you feel the weight of being the temple? The place where man and God meet together now is in your own soul because of the blood and the finished work of Jesus Christ. How dare we let anything else get in the way? But listen, here's the thing. We can feel that, and you know what can creep in for me at least is shame. Like I can feel that difference between here's what I'm supposed to be as I follow Jesus Christ, and here's the reality of what I am, and those two don't match up. And how am I going to experience God in that? What's God's reaction going to be? And I think a lot of us, maybe most of us, we expect God to be angry. Don't we? When we fail? I mean, because I, I know when I fail, when I realize how, how royally I've failed in my faithfulness to God, I'm mad at me, so why wouldn't God be mad at me, right? And, and we could look in the passage today and see, well, look, it's, it's right here. They rejected what the temple was for and Jesus walks in and what is he but mad? He's flipping tables and got a whip. And that's what he's table flipping furious. 
here. That's how mad he is. And so we expect when we come to Jesus and see the difference of what our lives are supposed to be and what they actually are, why wouldn't he come to us angry? Because that's what he did here. And I'm sure we've heard messages about this, about this passage, and we draw out of this, see, Jesus was angry. See, there's a righteous way to be angry. And yeah, we could, we could draw some of those applications this morning. Some of those are valid. And yet I, I want you to notice, though, the passage here never uses the word anger. So if the primary thing we walk away from this passage understanding is that Jesus could be angry, we're probably missing something. In fact, John uses a word to describe why Jesus picked up a whip. He uses a word to describe why Jesus flipped tables and why he threw coins all over the place. And it wasn't anger, and it wasn't rage, and it wasn't fury. It was zeal. And there's a difference. It was zeal. Do you know what zeal is? Zeal is passion. Zeal is passion that moves us to pursue something. It's like when you're in love and you pursue the one you love, you have zeal for them. You have a passion that drives you to pursue them above everything else. That's what Jesus had. Do you know what zeal can mean? Zeal can mean coming to the defense of. And I love this one. Zeal can mean... an. <laughs> I love it so much I forgot it. Uh, zeal can mean an intense embrace. An intense embrace. And so do you see that Jesus was meeting people not primarily with anger, but with zeal, with passionate pursuit. And when you screw up, when you fail to be faithful, I want you to hear that Jesus isn't primarily angry for you. He's passionate for you. That's what he meets you in. He's pursuing you to be wholeheartedly for him. He meets you with an intense embrace. He meets you with zeal. And he meets you with one other thing, too. He meets you with an invitation to know him better. Look at this. Look at where it goes next. So the Jews said to him, he's flipped the tables, the, the money changers are out of there, the people selling animals are out of there. The Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And you know, when I was looking at this pas- passage primarily as Jesus in full on like Hulk rage mode, all, all I could see in this line was a put down, right? Was a slam. Jesus turns to him and says, yeah, do your worst. Bring it on. Try to knock me out. I'll just raise back up again. And it sounds like a superhero one-liner, doesn't it? And there's certainly some challenge in here, but I think there's more. Because I think for so long I missed the fact that Jesus answers their question. Let that sink in for a minute. Jesus answers their question. So, They ask for a sign. And if you remember where we are in John, this is the section of John called the book of signs. And Jesus does all these miracles, all these signs. We just heard last week how he turned water to wine. And he's going to go around healing people. He's going to go raising people from the dead. And so these people come and ask him for a sign. He could have done any of that. He could have turned water to wine again. He could have healed somebody. He could have raised somebody from the dead. In fact, that's probably what they were looking for. And he doesn't do any of those things, he gives them a different sign. In fact, I would say to you, he gives them the best, most loving sign he ever could. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up again. Listen, folks, if they remember this, 
If they remember this a year or two down the road when it actually happens, do you know what they're going to do? It's what the disciples did. It says, therefore, when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and what? Believed. And so what Jesus has given them here, we can't miss this here. Jesus is talking to the people who have rejected him, the people who have replaced him and worship of God in the temple, the people who have rebelled against him, the people who are right now doubting and questioning him. And you know what he offers to them? Saving faith. Folks, like he's saying, guys, if you just see this, if you remember this, these words, you will confess with your mouth that I am Lord. You will believe in your heart that God raised me from the dead and you will be what? Saved. Do you see the mercy of Jesus in this moment? He meets the very people who reject him with an invitation to know him better. Do you know that's what's happening for us this morning and every time we come to Jesus convicted that we are not who yet, yet who he made us to be. He meets us not with anger, not with rage, but with passionate pursuit. And he meets us not with rejection or a slam or a put down, but an invitation to know him better. Would you accept that invitation this morning? If you haven't ever yet confessed with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead and you will be saved, accept that invitation. For the rest of us, Let's declare together that Jesus is who he said he is. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We are saved by his blood. He is the one. He's the new temple, and it's to him we come to meet with God together. So I'm going to invite you all now to stand. If you're watching online, I would invite you right in your homes to stand up, and let's declare this together in praise to our God that he is our living hope. That we come to him with confidence this morning, not in our own good, not in our own righteousness, but by his blood and righteousness. Let's praise him together. He is Lord of all. We can go ahead and have a seat for one more minute because there's one more thing we got to see out of God's word today before we leave. And it's, it's this, stick with me here for these last few verses. It says, when the disciples uh, remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. And after everything we've heard this morning, it seems wrong to end on this because this seems like a bit of a downer, doesn't it? I mean, many believed in his name. That's good. But it says, but Jesus did not, for his part, entrust himself to them. If you go back to the original language that's used here, you know what it's literally saying is they believed Jesus. He didn't believe them. So what's going on here? Because I want to know it because whatever's going on here, it says Jesus knew all people. And so whatever is true of them right now might be true of me if I don't, if I'm not careful. And so what's, what's happening here? Well, it says many believed in his name. Why did they 
believe when they saw the signs that he was doing. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. That's a good thing as far as it goes. In fact, if you back up earlier in chapter 2, after the water was turned to wine, it says the same thing about the disciples. It says they saw the sign and they believed in him. So when we see the works of Jesus Christ and believe, praise God, that's a good thing. And it's not enough. It's not enough. Because look at what John just said about the disciples. He gives us this little glimpse. He gives us this little fast forward. He says, when Jesus was raised from the dead. So fast forward two years in the disciples' lives. Here's what's going to happen for them. Right now, they believe just like this people. They believe the works that Jesus is doing. But two years from now, they're going to remember he said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. And so many of us, maybe all of us, we come to Jesus recognizing the works that Jesus does and it causes us to believe in him, the works that Jesus does. But do you see the disciples, the ones who were actually stuck around, they actually followed him with their full lives. They're the only ones who stuck around long enough to believe his words. And the question I think John is posing to us this morning is are we going to be a people who just believe his works or are we going to stick around long enough to believe his words? Even when we don't see his work. Even when we don't see his work in our lives. Because listen, as we continue this journey in John, we're going to see this again and again. There's these people that come to Jesus and they see his miracles and they're, they're giving him standing ovations. Bread, loaves, love that. We love you. And then Jesus opens his mouth to speak and they walk away. And they walk away. How could they? Because they were, they were happy to believe in Jesus when he was doing all those signs, when he was doing all those works in their lives, when he was doing what they wanted him to do. but they didn't stick around long enough to believe his words even when they didn't see his works. And so that's the question to leave us with this morning. Will we be a people that believe his word even when we don't see his work? Because this morning, listen, that's a question we need to ask because I don't know how God moved in your heart this morning or moved through his word this morning. I pray that he did in some way. But listen, we're about to go out into a week that isn't all mountaintop. You get what I'm saying? Like here we're gathered with God's people together and we have his word open before us and it's encouraging and it's inspiring. But Wednesday's coming, right? It's just a normal every day. And so while Jesus calls us to more, listen, here's, here's the next step you could take this week. You could examine your life for tables that you need Jesus to flip in your life where you recognize that you are not seeking first his kingdom and invite him to do that. And that might involve for some of us some hard choices, either rejecting our own temptation or stepping away from others around us for one reason or another, at least for a season. It might involve some difficult choices that are a change-up to your norm. And listen, this week, all you might experience is the difficulty of that choice. Can I tell you that? There's fruit to come from those choices. There's fruit to come from flipping those tables. But all the only thing you might experience this week is the chaos of that. Because sometimes those choices, God works fruit in our lives over the long obedience in the same direction, right? 
And so we need to decide this week, if I make that difficult choice and choose to flip that table, am I going to believe his words even when I don't see his work? And and listen, we want to go from here and pray that, that zeal for God and his kingdom would consume us. And you might go from this place today and realize like, yes, I I feel Jesus' pursuit deeply in my life and I am inspired to be consumed fully by him every area of my life. And then you get to Wednesday and Thursday and you look at your life and nothing has changed. And discouragement can creep in. God, can you really overcome even me? Can I really break out of this or do I just need to settle into the norm that I've been living in right now? Are we going to be a people that believe his word even when we don't see his work right away in that? And then, of course, to go deeper, we want to stay in his word. And so you're going to read John 3 this week to prepare for the message next week as we dive into God's word together. And listen, I hope the word of God inspired you in some way today. I hope it came alive and awakened you a little bit today. But that might not happen tomorrow at 6 a.m. when you're half asleep and the caffeine hasn't kicked in and this just looks like words on a page that have nothing to do with your life. Are you going to lean in anyway? Are we going to be a people that lean in anyway and trust his word even when we don't feel his work? because he's worthy of our trust. It's a guarantee. He promises that his word will not go forth and then return without bearing fruit. Do you know that's true of your very life? That the word of God, it's a guarantee is going to bear fruit in your life even if you don't see it right now. Do you know if we come with an honest prayer to him to be consumed. Do you think that's a prayer he's not going to answer? Come on. His desire is to consume you fully so that you may be what you were made to be in an unhindered relationship with him. Let's stand one more time together and declare this this morning, that these guarantees he speaks over our lives, these are promises he keeps. That the way he's made a way in our lives before, he'll make a way again. That he is faithful in his word even when we don't see his work. Let's praise him together. Oh God, we thank you for who you are. We underestimate you so many times. We thank you that you keep every promise. We thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life for us. God, we long to be consumed fully by you, and we ask that you would do that even more today. God, meet us in this place. Meet us in the place of our hearts, even as we're going about our business even as we're going about the things we have to do, God, draw our eyes continually to you so that we might seek your kingdom first. We love you, Lord. We trust you for today. And we thank you for all that you will do in us and through us tomorrow. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. People of grace, it's been a joy worshiping with you this morning. Take joy as you head out and stay safe. God bless.
We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.